Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 25, The Glamping Life, recorded on November 19th, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. What's up? It's cold here in uh, New York. How's it in Boston? It's very cold, but at least we don't have the snow that I've been seeing in Buffalo. I know. I saw that they said there's been all these deaths in Buffalo because of the snow. It's a terrifying snow. So the good news is we don't have it. There you go. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you the following, because you told me the other day that you had been grooming your YouTube channel. So can you explain to me what that means and why you do it? Yes, I'm taking it to the hairdresser. No, so... A friend of mine uh, pointed out to me that my YouTube channel was a mess. She did it in a nice way. Um, But she basically said, you know, you just record videos and throw them up there. And nowadays, what you really need to do is it needs to look sort of more slick and polished. So, and it's some of it's silly stuff. Like, I had to design a header for my channel page and I... Uh, put a lot of my videos into categories. So it's like if you're looking for art journaling videos, they're easy to find now. They're in a, you know, a playlist is I guess what they call it. If you're looking for, you know, scrapbooking videos, they're there in a playlist. If you're looking for balls design stencils videos, they're in a playlist, et cetera, et cetera. And then I've also slowly been trying to, I use a lot of just the music that's in my um, CD collection on my videos. But that is actually against the terms of service of YouTube. So I've been slowly trying to rip the audio tracks off of videos. The problem is that the audio, of course, that you can replace it with for free, that's fair use, is all like loops of like synthesizer music going, you know, boom, 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 boom. boom. And like to listen to that for three minutes and fast forward is kind of mind numbing. So I'm trying to solve my music problem. So grooming basically uh, means I'm sitting in front of the computer for hours trying to figure out how to get it to be a friendly uh, user interface and to completely conform with the YouTube terms of use. Did that answer your question? It does. Does it it sound like a good, sexy, fun time? Because it really is not. Actually, a lot of what you do is terribly is not boring. Particularly, yeah, you sit in front of the computer for hours. I know it's true. It's like I, I think I had this fantasy of becoming a full-time artist was going to mean that I was going to be making art full-time, and, and on some level, I actually feel like I make less art now than I used to. I can to. see that. I, I can know see because that. the business end of things takes up so much time. And and speaking of which, actually, we have someone else on the podcast today who does art as a business and probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. She is, of course, much more organized than I am, which is not a a hard standard, but uh, it's true. So our guest today is Cheryl Boglioli, and Cheryl is a mixed media artist and a Florida native with a passion for teaching and sharing her artwork and design projects. And as a full-time designer and educator, you can find her traveling and teaching workshops at independent stores and events nationwide. And on something that we're going to talk about that I think is wicked cool which is her living the art life tour which is actually uh on the last time or maybe even two times ago that cheryl was on her tour she came by to see me in new york which was kind of nice so hi cheryl hi thank you for having me here today absolutely my pleasure and i know exactly what you're talking about about the business and thinking that you're going to get to wear paint all day long and get messy and yet you're sitting there trying to run your business and you're on the computer much more than we want to be. It's true. Well, how do you how do you uh, work out the balance for yourself right now? Well, I'm in the process of trying to hire my daughter for a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 
wait, she's does that really mean you're going to pay her? Because I, I can am. think of someone else who might qualify for getting paid. I am going <laughs> to Mom, don't be bitter. I pay you with love. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is, is that I'm, I'm not hiring her full time. So she does have a full time job already. And unfortunately, I can't hire somebody today full time. So I'm looking for somebody who's easy manipulated that I can just hire for a couple <laughs> hours a week, but has a good skill set. And my daughter has a very good computer savvy skill set. So I think this will work out for both of us if, if, if it'll, if she'll just do what I need her to do. And that's um, good. Yeah. So. That sounds great. You know, I have to say, I know a lot of people who have successfully hired their children or they end up hiring their spouse or do you know what I mean? And it, it works out, I think, in a lot of cases because you know the person, you know they're reliable. Yes. You know where to find well, them and it's also, hard for them to, to run away. they need to know you because they need to know what voice you're trying to put out there on the internet. They have to be able to translate your vision into what shows up on the internet. I completely agree, and I think that's why, you know, I've been talking to her for a while, and I finally got her agreement last week, so she's going to start working with me tomorrow. Oh, that's fantastic. Ah. Oh, so she's got 21 years of knowing me, um, and she knows what I've been working for for the last few years as a full-time artist, so she's, she'll, she'll, she'll be able to help me out. So what kind of tasks are you going to have her do? I'm going to help, I'm going to have her help me with that dreaded newsletter that I'm terrible at. <laughs> So, and then um, she's also going to help me do some communications with stores, just help me follow up, make sure that, you know, all those things when you're trying to teach and you're traveling, that you have all of your X's X'd and all your I's dotted, that type of thing. So she's going to help with that aspect of it. That's awesome. I have some like, uh, so my friend Rhonda, who I'm actually teaching with in May in Colorado, her daughter uh, has been helping us put together some of the logistics for that retreat. And it's been an amazing help to have that. So I, I have this dream that someday, I guess I'm going to have to wait 21 years. I'll have to have a baby, grow that baby, and then force them to work for me. Well, maybe I can train Sage well enough that she maybe <laughs> help out. <laughs> there you go. Sure. Is your daughter, does she do art herself? No, she'll make a card every, she does cupcakes and cookies. <laughs> so, oh, even so better. Fantastic. Yeah, she loves to decorate cupcakes and cookies. So let's talk about the calls that she's making because these are for the Living the Art Life tour. Yes, she's not going to make the actual calls for me. She's just going to help me make sure, you know, when, you, when you're out traveling and you're teaching, you have to make sure that, you know, contracts are back and that both, signs are, both sides are signed, that you have the correct inventory that you need before you get ready. Um, those are the things. She's going to be helping in the background, just making sure that all of those logistics are in place and that I have everything that I need to, to get, in the, get in my car and in my little trailer and get on the road. Okay, so I want to talk about this kind of in eight different ways. So first of all, I want you to explain to people what the Living the Art Life Tour is. Well, Living the Art Life Tour is going to be my teaching tour where I'm traveling and teaching. And I, have, I am living the art life. That is my slogan now because I am teaching the art life. I'm exhibiting in different galleries around, um, mostly in the state here in Florida. I am 
designing projects for different people. I design projects for commissioned art. So that's where the living the art life comes. I feel like I am, I am doing everything within being an artist from that aspect of it. And yet I'm still taking classes every chance I get too. So I'm all, you know, I'm living it, teaching it, smelling it, breathing it, you name it. So my living the art life tour is I've done a tour for the last couple of years going from Florida to Maine and back in my little car and driving and traveling. And Eileen Hull and I have been talking for a few years about how fun it would be to get this big RV and everybody get together. And instead we've downsized. So she has her little mobile trailer. And um, while she was here, we found one together for me. And um, so I have a 1970 Terry Fleetwood Terry trailer that I'm in the process of renovating right now. And that is going to be my mobile art studio. So in the spring, April, I'm going to be leaving Florida again and driving all the way to Maine and back, stopping in places such as um, Rested Virginia, Boston, New York. Um, may maybe even can stop by and see you again. That would be fun. That'd be awesome. And, <laughs> and heading on up into uh, Maine at that area and then coming back down the Shenandoah Valley and coming back through the mountains, stopping in Brasstown, North Carolina, a few other places in between. So I'm still working on fine-tuning that schedule. So I titled this podcast The Glamping Life because I know that you're calling <laughs> your camper a glamper. Yes. So will you talk to us a little bit about the renovation you've been doing to trick it out for your trip? I will. I so glamping, if you haven't heard of the term before, is just a real glamorous form of camping. So I'm not going in a tent and I really wanted something that was cute and very hip, uh, modern, and, and, and that kind of sounds like a cross between words, but vintage trailers are hot right now. And I was lucky enough to find, uh, like I said, a 1970 trailer. So it's about as old as I am. I'm not going to say which way. <laughs> But we have something in common quite a bit. And, uh, so I'm in the process of just trying to renovate it. It needs a paint job. It was painted this plain camo green on the outside when I got it. But it had good bones, you know, and I like a girl with good bones. So um, just trying to figure out what all needs to be done in place. I don't need bunk beds, so I'm turning the bunks over into shelves. I'm repainting the inside, getting ready, getting rid of the 70s look and going to make it very clean. But yet I'm going to add that mod retro look with some decor back inside of it and I'm working with different companies who are helping to sponsor um, different things to help renovate that we have in there so Fairfield for example has um, they're gonna help replace the cushions that are in there and we're gonna talk about that and um, blog about that um, we're gonna paint the outside of it I'm trying to still make the final decisions on how I want to paint the outside of it and I have to put storage in there so there's no little bathroom or anything else the little closet is going to be storage that's going to carry my supplies and be able to take this with me and carry all of my supplies and yet have a place if I need to pull over and sleep somewhere I can it will have a functional bed it's got a functional little dinette so I'm turning that into my mobile office and I'm looking forward to it because it's not just when I go on a long trip if I want to take it to the other side of the coast here in Florida, I could easily do it for just a weekend tour as well and be able to take it and teach it and have my teaching art supplies with me at all times. So you're not planning on really like staying, staying in the in the glamper. It's more of a transportation and a, a working or emergency pit stop kind of situation. 
for the most part, yes. But there will be times that I can I can stay in it. Um, like I said, it just doesn't have a bathroom. Right. Most places that I would stay would have um, bathrooms anyway. So that that I don't think will be a problem. But I'll still need to get a hotel every once in a while and get a good night's sleep and a good shower. <laughs> yeah, but that's so exciting. So how big? I'm trying to imagine how big this glamper is. Well, it is small. Um, mine from what they call the tip of the tongue to the end of the bumper is 17 feet, but the actual trailer itself is shy of 14 feet from front to back of the trailer. I have less than 50 square foot of flooring inside of it that I'm because I'm replacing the flooring, so I just figured all that out. Um, so I have less than 50 square feet. Interesting. I have to tell you, there has been a recent uh, spate of news stories in New York City about people who will rent apart studio apartments that are like 80 square feet and stuff like that. So and maybe are, you could get some design ideas from those people. I have been looking, I know. And tiny homes are, you know, people, we get so busy right now with our social media and the TV and we're all plugged in everywhere else. That is another movement that's going on is people are trying to downsize and I know a lot of people are, are moving into what they call tiny homes just because they want to declutter their life and simplify things again and get back to the basics. Yeah, the whole decluttering thing, I mean, A, I think like it's more environmentally friendly, obviously, to live in a smaller home that has leaves a smaller carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff. And B, like, I, I tried, so my brother doesn't have a printer, and I tried recently to give away my printer to him, my old printer. Mm -hmm. I got a new one, and he was like, no, he said, I'm getting rid of things in my life. I'm not trying to bring more things in. And I thought it was an interesting thought and I spoke to another friend of mine who said she's on this I guess this is a popular thing that people do but she's been throwing away one thing from her house every day now for like three years she's on like year three of this project and she says it's fascinating when you learn how you actually do not need any of the stuff you have around you right well when you're well, even for this trip I'm trying to think okay what are you know what are the things that I have to take you know what are the things if I am going to use it to sleep overnight somewhere, which I'm sure there will be a couple nights that I'll find a campground instead of getting a hotel. So that'll help with my traveling expenses. And, and so I'm trying to think of what is the minimum things that I need to supply because my, my vehicle will only tow so much. So with the trailer and my vehicle, I've still only got a limited amount of space and a limited amount of weight. So I know you were saying that like your daughter, one of the things she's going to do is check inventory and that kind of stuff. So do you kit your classes and are you dragging kits with you or are you talking just about supplies for you to use as you teach? A little bit of both. Some, most of it will be supplies I need to teach, but there are some supplies that will be shipped for me along the way. And so it'll either be someplace where I know that I'll be for a few days so that I can time that just right. Um, so whether it be canvases or materials to teach with, some of those will be shipped along the way and I'll just pick them up. So I'll teach a couple classes, get somewhere else, be able to pick up new fresh supplies and send them on and keep doing the same thing back and forth. So a lot of what I teach or a lot of what I'll be taking with me will be the supplies I need to get started um, on my little trip and the tools that, I, that I'll be using. So a lot of the tools that I'll be using as far as die cut machines or paint brushes, um, basic inventory canvases, things like that for the first couple of stores. Cool, and I, I wanna zip back for one second to uh, something that you said earlier. When we were, we were just talking about um, 
you know, setting up the glamper and like going and how you've gotten people to sponsor various things about it. And I think that this is something that is so part of like the modern artist bloggers life, you know, which is if you're going to do a project anyway, I think mm-hmm. it's always a good idea to see if you can't find somebody who's willing to contribute or sponsor it in some way. But it's that's also a lot of hard work. Like I often think, oh, I should find somebody to help me, you know, sponsor this. But then I think, blur, that seems like a lot of work. So are you just an incredible planner or like how did you work out getting sponsors for that? Um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> so so it does take some work. It takes it takes some planning. Um, you know, thankfully being a CHA designer member and being in the industry for a few years, I've made some really great connections. Uh, companies have worked with me in various design aspect projects over the last few years. And, and so that's helped because I have a good reputation with various companies. Um, they want to know that you, you're going to, you know, we're not just, Hey, I, I just want a freebie. That's not what they're looking for. Neither am I. Um, they want to know that you're out there, you're promoting them, they're going to promote you. So just reaching out to them and letting them know what I'm doing and sharing my, you know, statistics with them and things like that, what my demographics, what my goal is, what my business plan, and most of them are excited to be a part of it. So let's talk about being a CHA designer member because you actually are quite active in the CHA designer committee um, and I actually recently let my CHA designer membership go because I decided it wasn't useful to me. So I'm I'm wondering if I've made a terrible mistake. So tell me what it is that you do, how involved you are, maybe explain to people too what the designer community is. Well, the designer community within the craft and hobby industry are business professionals who are designers in in the fact that they're they have a business plan they're professional designers who are out there who are working and working with companies they've already met certain qualifications which are listed at the craft and hobby website to be considered a designer member um, I am very active with them. I, I now sit on the council with the CHA designer council members. So I've, this is my first year serving on council with them. And I've been active in part of the different committees that they've had. I've helped with the roundtable discussions a few years in a row. And then for the last year, a um, little bit more than a year, I've been the chair of the PR committee, which I'm now sharing co-lead with Rita Barakat. So, um, as far as being a designer member, the designer members have the advantage of getting a one-on-one relationship of working with various manufacturers, editors, press, things like that through CHA. And, and that's how I've made some really great contacts is different people you know, hiring me to work. And I'm excited about our new designer in action series that we're going to have at CHA. So in the past we've had like the designer showcase and the designer display and we've combined those so that this year we're going to have a designer in actions section that's going to be on the show floor where designers will have their exhibits on display and be able to show what they do, what they bring, how important designers are to the industry. Because designers do everything from helping do product design, you know, like like you do. You've got your stencils, you've got your stamps, different things like that. So that's product design. We do project design to help advertise different companies, whether it be in their publications, their websites, 
blogs, we help with books, we help designers are very connected as far as knowing what's trending. So designers are an integral part of the craft and hobby industry, no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I'm so sad that you let your designer membership go because the designer in action section this year is going to be really great. We're also going to have sections set up where the designers who are exhibiting will also get the opportunity to show what they do in live action and can have an hour to or more if they want to to actually display and you could demo what products you have available that you're releasing at CHA or have a book signing or if you work with another company show those products and actually have a hands-on availability at CHA on the show floor. You know, I think the designer section does a lot of great work, and I think they've done amazing things over the last few years to really promote designers and the idea of professional designers within the industry. I think the issue for me personally has always been that I never seem to make any of the contacts that you're talking about with any, you know manufacturers or editors or anything like that like that stuff always seemed to come from elsewhere not from within the designer section and then I I think you know I also uh, I, I think without any mean intent or anything a lot of the women who are on the designer uh, within the CHA designers know each other very well have worked together for many many years and it is uh, sometimes a little intimidating shall we say to an outsider and I often feel very outside of whatever is going on, you know? So in you know, the end, I just decided for me, I wasn't seeing any results and I was feeling a little pushed out to the side and it wasn't worth it. Right, and that's not the first time we've heard that. So I know that um, we are working very hard to make some changes in that aspect and make it look, and, and not just look, but make it actually more welcoming, more friendly, and just really try to make that extra effort so that people know that we we all support one another and we're all here for each other and that it we are we welcome open doors so that is something that is being worked on as we speak oh, good that's fantastic to hear my friend Rhonda who I mentioned earlier I know has also started to become a little more active within the designer group I know she's working on the newsletter I think for the designer group at CHA oh, now, which is kind of a good thing. So we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to go back should things, you know, should, should the opportunity present <laughs> itself in a good way, shall we put it that way? Good. Anyway, so moving on, let's talk a little bit about um, how you became a full-time uh, artist and educator. How, what was that evolution like for you? A long process. <laughs> I'm still evolving as we speak. So, but no, it was it, it was quite funny. I I was an artist, what I would consider an artist my whole life. As far as art was something I always wanted to do. I wanted to be this famous artist and and whatnot. And I started going to school for graphic design. And life kind of got in the way. And next thing you know, I've got a little girl and. I'm home and I'm homeschooling my child and I'm being just a full-time mom at that point. But during the process of homeschooling, I am, um, we were a relaxed homeschooler, so her portfolio every year was pretty much her scrapbook. So we would scrapbook 
all of our activities that we did together, our history lessons, our field trips, et cetera, et cetera. And that became her portfolio every year that we would do evaluations with, with the instructor. So that was kind of my in back to being artistic and crafty is scrapbooking and making cards and doing little homeschool projects with her. And then so then I started a blog and it was just a blog to say, oh, look at this little pretty page that I made or oh, look at this pretty card that I make. And it just kind of evolved from there. Next thing you know, I'm um, doing a couple of little design teams and then I'm teaching at a local scrapbook store as my daughter was getting a little bit older and didn't need me his hands on as much. And during that time, I was also working as a trans medical transcriber. So it was just filling in whenever I could. Well, I worked at the store for a while, the scrapbook store, and she finally asked me if I would like to attend CHA with her and help her make some buying decisions from the store and go and attend this and be her, you know, partner for, for the event. And it was the first time she had ever attended CHA as well, so she was kind of nervous about going. And we went, and we were CHA virgins, so we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea how to sign up for classes, workshops, didn't even know what those were. So we had this whole free day on education day with nothing to do because we had signed up for nothing. And I happened to walk into, I found out about the designer roundtables. So I walked into the designer roundtables because they were open and sat in there and listened to, and this is probably why I have such a, um, a passion for the CHA designers is because, you know, they opened up their arms and they welcomed me at these roundtables and it was all kinds of people that were giving advice. Um, there was another class that I sat in that you were actually one of the panel hosts and I was so excited to be sitting in the same room with you. I, I don't forget those things. <laughs> I know, right? Little so did you know <laughs> how unexciting it really is. <laughs> no, I, I still love sitting and talking to you anytime, anytime listening. But so, you know, I stepped out of there that day and I just thought, wow, you know, here's other women that are doing this. And, and these are other women who are actually making a living at it, you know, and they're, 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 they're having fun and they're doing what they want to do. So I left CHA saying, I, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be more serious about it and I'm going to pursue this as an option. And I set a goal right then to, to do, to be a CHA designer and be a full-time artist within 18 months. Well, six months later, I was able to attend the next CHA. This is when we had twice a year. And so I attended the next one as a full-time artist and a, and a CHA designer member. So I was able to do it in six months instead of 18 months. And um, I've just been going at it since. So in the process this last January, I've been in my own studio in downtown Fort Pierce for about a year now. January was a year ago. Again, I was at Anaheim and I got a phone call that a bigger space had opened up and I called them back as soon as Florida woke up and put my spot in and got a bigger studio space so that now I'm totally out of my house as far as art supplies and crafty supplies and things like that and I work up here full time. That's amazing. Talk to me about your studio space because I am endlessly fascinated and envious of people who have studio spaces. How has it been? Do you have regular working hours? Has it completely changed your art? Like, talk to me about that. Um, a little bit of both. You know, I try to do regular business hours and I'm not great about it. There's times that I just wake up and think, okay, I, I can wait till noon. I, I set my own hours <laughs> and go in, but I do. I try to be here 
you know, five, six days a week sometimes. And um, it's it's been, parts of it are difficult in the fact that I can't just wake up and be inspired and go into my home studio and paint at that moment. So I have no paint in my house or paintbrush. So maybe that's something I need to consider is having a little little bitty paint bag or something at the house. Um, but sure enough, I'd need it here since I got here. <laughs> um, and I can't paint in pajamas anymore. I do get away with yoga pants every once in a while up here, you know, but <laughs> can't wear pajamas up here. So um, sometimes it's distracting because I, I, am, I am in a unique situation in the fact that I'm in a building where we have about 40-something different artists who are all in this building. And we have studio spaces we have about six different galleries that are in the building as well so we're always having shows and we're open to the public so right now um, I have two spaces I have that are connected I have my actual working studio space that I share with a friend of mine Susan Garman and then we have a second room that's connected which is what we call our gallery space and so that's where all of our artwork is hung on the walls and we actually sell so I sell out of my studio the artwork that I that I actually do and um, so I have a sign out there right now that says, please do not disturb, you know, recording and process because the public can come in and out at any time. And, and so I'm, I am getting interrupted quite a bit. So that's been a learning curve for me. But it's also given me the opportunity to take my job more seriously and to take my career more seriously. So I was able to talk to you a little bit about that when I did see you um, 2013. And... Um, I've taken what you said to heart, and I'm working for myself more, <laughs> more than others. Um, still working for others too, but you know, trying to really play and experiment, and put that time into myself and into my business. It's a balancing act trying to figure out because you can't you ha you do have to work for other people at a certain level, yes. but at the same time, you really want to be the master of your own domain. And it's that old quote about you can either work to make somebody else's dream come true, or you can work to make your own dream come true. Right, exactly. And working for others—that's what helps pay our bills and let us keep doing yes, what we it need does. to do. And it's also learning. Like I, I am so grateful to the people early in my life who I learned from by working for them, you know, mm -hmm. and some of the lessons were good uh, ones and some were bad ones, but you know, I yes. learned nonetheless. Definitely. I would agree with you. It's easy to get caught up though in, in being so busy and giving yourself busy work that you lose sight of you and what your purpose is. Um, and so that's part of why I've done this whole rebranding that I've done this year and, and found like I finally found my niche and found my voice. So I have a side question. Which is, yes. do you only do artwork in your studio or do you also have a computer and do the business part of your business there? I have a computer and I do the business aspect of it here as well. And now it's a laptop so I can take it home and I do that quite often. But I try, I'm, I'm now trying to limit most of my work here so that when I go home, that's my home. So then I have two more questions, which is one, do you think that having the outside studio has changed your art? And if so, how? And then the second question is, has having the outside studio changed your home life? And if so, how? It has changed my artwork. It has changed my artwork in a few different ways. Um, one, I've had the availability to, to play more. Um, 
but the biggest the biggest way that it's changed it is the fact that I'm surrounded by other artists and other artists that do everything from recycled steampunk work to oil painting, watercolor, um, acrylics, big huge canvases to teeny teeny little bitty things. Um, we have a digital artist here, I have a printer on site, I have a framer on site. So I have constant eye candy and somebody to collaborate with which is really really great and I'm and because I am here with these other artists, I'm, I'm being introduced to other opportunities as far as um, places to exhibit my work, um, art contests, art galleries, and gallery owners come in here looking for different artists to be able to show. And um, I just got a piece, a big piece for me in what the Bacchus Museum, Best of the Best. So out of... I, can't, I think it was over 200 and something different applicants that they had. They chose 125. And so that's the biggest fundraiser that this museum has all year long. And I made it into into the best of the best show. That's so it was fantastic. Congratulations. So that's how it's changed my art is that I have outside influences that are able to just trigger those endorphins and, and that creativity and give you something else other than the same four walls that you're looking at all the time at home. Has it changed my art life? I mean my home life? Well I probably have dishes in the sink right now that weren't done <laughs> so um, I'm not at home. I'm always trying to catch up on laundry. When I was at home working, you know, I could stop, go throw a load in the laundry, I could put a load of the dishes in the dishwasher, you know, run the vacuum cleaner, and I'm not home now. So those things aren't being done as well as I would like. I'm, so that's one way that it's affected my home life. Um, but in the same time, my daughter is now working full time, so nobody's ever there. There you go. So who cares if the dishes are dirty? Yeah, no. <laughs> the dogs don't like it too much. They get left alone. <laughs> they like, but you know they're good. Okay. So then, okay. So how talk about to me about sharing the studio space? So obviously you're sharing with somebody who you know, who's a friend. Yes, and we've been friends for years. Um, our daughters met when they were like six. <laughs> so you know we've been friends for many many years. They they homeschooled together and and. And we've been together for quite a while. Um, so she has a desk in here, and we share the gallery space, but we're both completely different in our artistic. She does more three-dimensional home decor, shabby chic kind of things. And so we just support one another and share the space. That's about it. But and yeah, we've been friends for quite a while. Do you find that her artwork uh, influences yours at all now that you're working in the same space together? Um, I, not too much so, just because we're both so different. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, okay, so let's talk a little bit. I was, I was thinking about your story about how you sort of first came to CHA, and it's actually the exact same way that I first came to CHA. 
which is I was uh, on the design team for the, as far as I know, the only scrapbooking store that ever existed in Manhattan, uh, which has long since gone. It was a very brief window of time when it was open, but the owner uh, and I became very friendly, and so she invited me to go to CHA with her, and she had never been, and I had never been, and we were like complete idiots at it, if you <laughs> Yes, I know exactly what you mean. You have no idea what's going on. You don't understand how to do anything. You're trying to figure out how to place an order. You don't know how much is too much. You're the whole idea of like minimum orders. And it was what I remember being like a kid in a candy store and yet not totally understanding how candy worked. Right. Oh, yeah. And totally starstruck. I mean, totally starstruck. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I still I still have the picture that I took with you. <laughs> yes. And, well, and, you know, I will tell on myself the most embarrassing story ever, which is you and I were at some cocktail thing at CHA and I and you came over and said hi and I said, "Oh, it's so nice to meet you." And you said, "Julia, we've met several times." <laughs> <laughs> I I felt like the biggest jerk on earth, and oh. I guess I've never forgotten you since that moment. See, I was just trying to make an impact. <laughs> no, but, but you know, I didn't take it personally. I know. I mean, I've I, now I've been there. So you're there at CHA, and it you know it is fun. Don't get me wrong; it's a blast. I look forward to it every year. I love seeing everybody. But we're there to work too. And, and that's what some people don't understand is where they're working and while you're on the show floor and you're at the cocktails and you're walking around, you've got to be on 24-7 with just the right smile and stand up straight and all these kind of things. And it's just hard to keep up with it all. I completely understand. I remember, and I was never offended by that. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> but I, I remember reading something where Tim Holt said that some woman followed him into the men's room or something at CHA. <laughs> <laughs> surprised. And I just think, you know, it's funny because you do, I mean, I remember the first time I saw Allie Edwards and I would just about, yes. you know, drop to my knees. I was like, you're amazing. Well, yeah. do you remember we were on the bus? I think we were on a bus to the airport or the hotel or something. And suddenly you leaned over to me and you said, that's the crafty chica behind us. Oh, yeah. But, no, we were and I the said, shuttle. well, why don't you? turn around and say hello and tell her you like your work. No, no. <laughs> you know, it, same kind of starstruck business. Yes. Well, the first time I saw Tim Holtz out of the environment was um, we went to a Mexican restaurant in Chicago and I was there with a couple friends and, and I look over and I'm like, wait a minute, is, is that Wendy Vecchi? Oh, that's, that's, that's Mario. That's Tim. And it's like suddenly I, it's this whole table of everybody and I... I thought I was going to pee my pants. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, oh, I can't believe they're just like at the table right next to us. And, and the lady I was there had been to CHA a few times and she's like, please don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me. <laughs> and I didn't. But but yeah, you get you. We still get starstruck. And, and it's funny because now we've been there so many times. And, you know, Julie and I, you and I have had a chance to talk a few times. I've been able to be in classes with Tim and talk to Tim. And now it's just like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it's like anything. It's like you, of course, figure out that people are people and all that kind of stuff. But I think there is something when, like, I will say the most gratifying thing about my job, without question, is the people who either come up to me, some at a convention or in a class, or who write to me and tell me in some way that I've either touched their lives or helped them with some problem they were going through, you know? 
I'm sorry. Who, who, the host doesn't turn off her phone at home? What a terrible person. Hold on a second. Let me deal with this. I thought it would be me today. That's too funny. Anyway, as always, it's a sales call. Okay, so... Uh, but what I was going to say is I think, like, when someone has, like, touched your life or influenced you in that way, they live in a special place in your heart. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like you, you want to find a way to tell them that you're so grateful. Like, this sounds so silly, but the way that I started scrapbooking is... I was stuck in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I was really bored. <laughs> and I was uh, home during the day, and I was watching day TV, and I stumbled on DIY scrapbooking, which was hosted by Sandy Genovese. And so she got me so excited about getting started scrapbooking and all that kind of stuff. And I saw her in a Broadway theater just in the audience once. And I just about fell over myself, like foaming at the mouth, looking at her. And, and no one else in that theater knew who the heck she was, you know. But it was such an exciting moment for me because she had sparked something within me. And I think that whenever you do that for someone, do you know what I mean? You become yes. a, a part of their story. And I think what a wonderful and amazing job that is because sometimes you know I get depressed and I'm like I don't do anything useful you know like what do I do all day make art and I tell people how to you know turn a sock into a puppet or whatever like it's not that's not like being a doctor or like helping somebody or being a social worker right and then you get an email from somebody or somebody comes up to you and says I was going through a difficult time and you really helped me through it your blog helped me through it and that just makes me feel like what I do actually matters it does it does I know, I know that every time that I have had the chance to sit with you and talk to you, I, I just feel like I just want to sit and sit at your feet and just listen to your wisdom. I mean, oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, Cheryl, you know how to butter a girl up. Fine, really hard. No, but I mean, you, you have always given, you know, the chances, the few chances we have had to talk, you've always given me sound wise advice and and that means a lot to me and so you do have an impact on other people's life no doubt about it uh, through the things that you say the witty witty little comments that you make and you share on your blog to the inspiration that you do with your art and that's what that's what we want to do as artists you know I still I love it when somebody buys a piece of my art because they say that it speaks to them and that means more to me than I can ever, I mean, I, I just want to send thank you cards every time. And I try to send thank you cards when somebody buys my art because I, I am grateful and not just because I'm getting paid, but because art is, art is not something, everybody needs art in their life, but it's not like shoes that you have to wear. And so for somebody to make that decision to bring your piece of art into their home means the world to me. And when you're traveling and teaching and people are saying, hey, when are you going to be back in my area? I want, to, I want to see you again. That means a ton. So I totally get it. I agree. It's exciting. And somebody taking your art into their home is them taking a piece of you into their yes. daily life. And that's amazing. Yes. So I want to sort of backtrack because you mentioned the fact like part of your living the art life is taking classes. And I know from following you on Instagram – that you are a newly certified, is it Bob Ross certified teacher? Yes, yes. Speaking of someone Bob who sparked millions of people to make art, tell me about that whole, like, 
uh, how you decided to do that, what it was like, and are you teaching Bob Ross painting classes? I am. I am. It is. It's actually kind of a funny story. And again, it was it was inspired from CHA. Believe it or not, there was a time uh, probably about two years ago that I had a day where I got to walk the floor and do whatever I want and didn't have to be anywhere at any specific time. And Martin F. Weber is a is a manufacturer that was there, and they were doing Bob Ross make and takes. And I'm like, sign me up. I want to come back and do that. Because I hadn't really played with oil paints that much. So I was kind of excited to play with them. And I knew who Bob Ross was. I remember watching him as a kid, all the little happy trees. And he would just make this world come to life in front of you in 27 minutes on TV. So I participated in that make and take and brought it home. And my dad really liked the little painting. And we found out that the Bob Ross Studio Gallery is here in Florida in New Smyrna Beach and then we found out that there are actually classes so that you can become a certified Bob Ross instructor so my dad wanted to go and take it and we went and we took one week together to find out if this was something that my dad really wanted to do or not had a great time with my mom and dad and then we took the first class and he's like I love it I want to go back and we want to do the whole certification because it's three weeks of painting and so we went back this summer, the end, of the end of June, and took the other two weeks of classes. And 5th of July, I was given a certificate saying that I am now Bob Ross certified to teach Bob Ross anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, actually. And um, so it was fun. It's not my, I mean, I love painting any kind of, anything I want to learn. So, you know, I, I love learning new things. But it wasn't my intent to come back here and be teaching it in the studio because it's not my particular style and it's not what I'm most passionate about. However, I can't tell you how many people said, oh, please teach this as a class. Please teach this as a class. I'm like, all right, we'll give it a shot. You know, I'll, I'll just do a couple and we'll see how it goes. And, and my classes are just sold out each and every time. So yeah, I'm making rent by painting, by teaching Bob Ross classes, and it's fun because I'm getting people in the door who have never painted before. They're able to, in less than three hours, leave here with a finished landscape painting and, um, and find out whether or not this is what they enjoy to do. And they walk out of here with something they've created with their own hands. Some of them come in here and have never, ever, ever touched a paintbrush. So it's brand new to them. They wanted to see if they can do it. And then while they're here, they get introduced to other classes that we have available here in this building. They introduced to a variety of different artworks for the different shows and the different artists that are here. And I meet new friends along the way. I have to tell you, I remember like Bob Ross, it was just amazing. The first fan brush I ever bought was because Bob <laughs> Ross made it look like you could paint trees so easily if you just had a fan brush. I can show you how. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you could. I may be Bob Ross unable or something because I've tried so many times watching him on TV when I was a kid and when I was, you know, even a little bit older to, to make those happy little trees and a happy little cloud and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. Although I will say, I think I definitely took to heart his message, which is, you know, if you make a mistake, nobody knows. Just. Right. Cover it up. <laughs> you know, I laugh at him, too, because I, I look at that now, and I'm like, you know, 
Bob Ross had branding down before any of us even really knew what that was. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Now, you know, everybody knows who, who Bob Ross, they see one of those paintbrushes with his little head on it or his paints, and everybody knows who that is. I've got Bob no Ross black gesso in my studio. See? Yep. Yep. It is really great black gesso as a side note. It is. It is. It is. And it is, it is fun painting. And, it, you know, I've made some new friends, and it's something new. And even though it wasn't the mixed media style that I'm most passionate about, I still learned thing in the learned things in that those classes that I can apply towards the art that I do now. You know, as far as perspective and layering and working wet on wet, and and it's pushed me a little bit further too. So it was a win-win for me, and I got to spend a couple of weeks with my mom and dad on the beach in New Smyrna in a condo. So. Yeah, it was fun. That sounds like a win-win paint every day, hang out on the beach. I mean, it come was, on. It was so funny because my my mom um, would stay at the condo all day long. Dad and I would get up and we'd go to class. But we'd get up. Mom would cook us breakfast. We'd go to class. We'd come home for lunch. She'd have lunch on the table. We'd go back to class. We'd come home for dinner. Dinner would be waiting for it. It was so much nice to have Mommy take care of me for a couple of weeks. I know. Man, I need a wife or a mom or something. Excuse me? <laughs> you live very far away. Four and a half hours is a little bit far to go for dinner and lunch. Yeah. I'm just you saying. You really cared. <laughs> uh, so is your dad teaching Bob Rossoff? Is that why he wanted to get certified or he just enjoyed doing it so much? He just enjoyed doing it so much. Um, you know, he's still working, so he's not retired yet. Once he retires, he might. He's thinking about it. He, he's come over here and helped me teach a couple times, and everybody's loved him, so that's been, he's really enjoyed doing that, but um, he's waiting to see where it goes, but right now he's just playing and practicing, and just he just takes a canvas and makes as many clouds as he can, and then does trees all over a canvas, and he's just practicing techniques right now and, and just playing. So is that who you get your artistic ability from, your father? Yeah, I think so, because there are... Um, you know, my, my dad didn't paint prior to us attending that class. My dad hadn't painted in 50 years. So wow. he painted since before I was born. I'm not there. Um, so he, but there are paintings that he had, that he had done um, previous to that. And he, he was in Vietnam, was very much into photography at that time. So he always had this artistic little aspect to him and always a brainstormer you know I get the dreamer from my dad my dad's always trying to figure out like how to make things work and how we can you know dream the dream and live the dream and I definitely get that from my father but did you you guys didn't make art together when you were growing up no no not at all no nope, my dad um, work 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 so nope so then where did your interest in art come from I just always doodled. I always was trying to sketch. I, I remember watching, you know, those TV shows, learn learn to draw. You can draw. <laughs> and, and just wanting to, to do that. And, and I just always enjoyed playing and, and making. And, and I would try to be artistic in anything. I mean, even uh, my parents would laugh at me when I was I'd make dinner and I'd try to make the meatloaf look pretty because that's just what I wanted to do. So I would decorate the meatloaf with ketchup and stuff so that it was pretty. Well, meatloaf should be prettier than it is. I mean, it really is not a pretty food. 
But I mean, that's, I was just always wanting to be artistic and, and wanted to have my own business. So. Cool. So mom, you've been very silent. Very much. You say that every time. I know, but then why are you so silent? I view myself as definitely the second or third banana in this group. (laughs) I will uh, say that having listened to a number of these podcasts, it always strikes me what a variety of paths different people take to find themselves becoming artists. I mean, some people knew from the time they were little that they wanted to do art, and other people came to it when they were 50 or 60. You know, some people uh, view themselves as hobbyists, but they're, they're really more than that. Some people immediately decide that they can be professional artists. I mean, it's just really interesting, all the different paths that people take. And I, I think every single person has had a different story. Hmm. And I wonder if that speaks to the fact that we don't necessarily view being art, an artist as a um, as a good career choice when kids are little. It's kind of like, oh, you'll never make any money if you can't draw realistically. You're not an artist. Uh, you know, where are you going to get a job? I just think we don't necessarily promote being an artist as a really wonderful job choice. I think that's really true that we definitely like that what you learn from school most of the time is that if you can draw realistically, then maybe you can go to art school, but then you won't make any money anyway if you go to art school. So, you know, whatever. And I actually will tell you, I had a conversation with someone who admittedly was very drunk at the time, but at CHA who owns a large company. And I had been hoping to impress him that he would want to do some business with me. And instead he kept saying, you're too smart to be an artist. You know, you need to do something real with your life. And I was thinking, wow, you're a person who owns a huge company, you know, and you in this industry and you hire artists. And what you're basically telling me is that I'm too smart, you know, to play in that and I think that in some ways that's a message that you get as a kid too which is like if you are book smart at all then you shouldn't choose something like art or theater or music you should do something like be a lawyer or a doctor but I think that art requires intelligence sorry Cheryl I didn't mean to talk over you no no I, I find that quite often here too especially being around so many different artists and I hear it from both sides I hear it from from people who are surprised that I actually have some business sense. And then I hear it from other artists who are like, oh, don't ask me to add that up because I'm an artist. I don't have a brain, you know. So I, I hear it from both. And it it is sad that that's a concept that's out there. But to be a successful artist in today's industry, you have to have both. Or you have to be very wealthy that you can handle to hire a marketer, <laughs> a business manager. I know. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody who just did all the parts of the job you don't like? Yes, very much. Okay, that's the dream. (laughs) Oh, wait, you've got your daughter starting tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get a couple hours out of her a week. That's it. There you go. Lucky ducky. Yeah, I mean, I also think that the other thing about so many paths to a career in art is that I think like so many things that are non-scientific and, you know, whatever the the call, if I may be so uh, vague, the call to become an artist, the passion, the whatever, hits people at different times 
in life, you know, and and just like Cheryl's father, who put aside his artistic tendencies for years to, you know, work and support a family and all that kind of stuff. I think many people also make that choice where they choose, you know, a steady paycheck over their infant art career and then come back to it later in life. You know, many women I know in the craft industry in particular have come back to it after a hardcore, really after their kids have grown, that that's the time they have to commit to it. Cheryl, you were saying that's the case for you. Yeah, that's the case for me. It wasn't, you know, I was full on raising my daughter and homeschooling her. She was homeschooled from kindergarten to college. So it wasn't until she was graduated that I was able to put full time into this and take it to that different, take it to the next level. And in fact, you were very involved, I know, with the homeschooling uh, movement. And isn't Florida the largest homeschooling state in America? Where yes. the most homeschoolers yes. or something like that? And you were the head of uh, the state of Florida's I, homeschooling I, association, right? I was. I was chairman of Florida um, Florida Parent Educator Association here in Florida. And... Um, sat on their board for a couple years and then chaired it for two so yes I was very involved and very much wanted to make a difference but I was the oddball (laughs) because one I was a woman as a chair Um, most homeschool state organizations are still run by men and and I only had one child but we still went in there and had a voice and made an impact fantastic and I think it's it's another evidence of any time that you're passionate about something and you pursue it and you are clear-headed about it and you know what I mean that you can make a difference always yes anyway so we're we're just about an hour so we should probably wrap on up mom I'm gonna you make such good comments and every single time we do a podcast you talk for about 30 seconds and 90% of the comments are about how brilliant you are so, so catch you, me while you can. I was going to say, would you like to <laughs> dazzle us with another incredible insight? Well, just uh, riffing off of something Cheryl just said, you know, most craft businesses, although it seems like they're uh, staffed by women, are headed by men also. Mm-hmm. There is this idea that somehow running a business is is a legitimate man's job but actually being one of the the artists or the crafters is not correct that was actually one of the biggest things i came away from my first trip to caha as is i was like this is it may be a female-faced industry but it's a male-run industry and in every corner at caha the business deals are being done by guys you know in polo shirts and and khaki pants so to speak anyway okay very good brilliance mom i'm once again impressed and amazed by you off the hook for another week (laughs) (laughs) and cheryl uh where can people find you online you can find me at cherylboglioli.com c-h-e-r-y-l-b-o-g-l-i-o-l-i yes and i peep at you on instagram sometimes but you haven't been instagramming a lot lately I know. I'm so bad about that. I just get so busy that I get wrapped up in not doing it. So I I just got to get back into being consistent with it. You need to take some pictures of your studio and post them so I can see them on your Instagram feed. I do. I need to actually make a video. I I charged my video camera today saying that's it because I came in here and cleaned it up. And I need to video my studio space. So there, I'm going to put that on my list of things to do. I hope you'll Instagram your glamping trip up Route 95. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be fascinating. What's your hashtag I, for the tour? Um, I have two. I have living the art life and teaching the art life. 
cool. Well, I think that's I'm easy. Glamping the art. Yeah, glamping the art life is in there too. So I'm using all three of them interchangeably, just depending on what exactly that I'm doing. Okay, cool. So, well, I will follow you up the East Coast, and you better come see me when you get to New York. All right, consider it done. So where the heck you're going to park a camper in New York City, I'd like to know. Well, I'm sure I can find somewhere else to park it and then just come in and see you. So there I you get to go. go. <laughs> it's a deal. Okay. Knows? So as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash erting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag and note that it's changed. It's erting podcast, all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.